This is In the Zone, your home for Salina Sports Talk. High school sports, Kansas Wesleyan and Bethany, KU, K-State, and Wichita State. Wait, is there anything these guys don't cover? You're in the zone. What's going on? Welcome in to In the Zone here on Sports Radio, 1150 KSAL, 106.7 as well on your FM dial. Jackson Schneider and James Westling with you. No show yesterday because we had a basketball doubleheader. So let's just pick up right there. K-State basketball. We had them on air yesterday, their debut, their their for real debut. We talked about their exhibition contest last week, but they finally opened the season uh, last night, as did most of the NCAA landscape. But K-State cruised to a 93-59 win over the University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley, James. K-State, and, I, and I, I need to preface this by saying, like, I know Rio Grande Valley is bad, is a bad basketball team. But even if that's true, K-State looks, they just pass the eye test as a much better team, much more energetic, much more fun to watch than bad K-State teams of the previous regime. I mean, even if this team turns out to not be all that great and it is just a rebuilding year for a first-year head coach, at least fans are going to have fun watching them. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And the spread going into this game was 18 points, and K-State won 93-59. to So K-State far exceeded expectations from that standpoint. And you're right, Texas, Rio, Grande Valley, which is a mouthful, it's definitely a bad basketball team. They only won eight games last year. Um, they're in the whack, and they were preseason picked, dead last. And this isn't the whack of old that had Fresno State and UNLV and all those guys. The, the whack is uh, almost a sub-mid-major conference now. But you, the, the way K-State did it, like K-State has dudes, and we saw that against Washburn, and it was even more on display, I felt like, last night. Um, it wasn't always pretty. But K-State knocked down 12 threes, something that really was a, a, a weakness against Washburn. They were 5 of 28 from three-point range in that game. And when you score 93 points collectively and your leading scorer uh, only has 14, it says a lot about balance and depth. And K-State had six guys scoring double figures, and they had more dunks than I think the last 10 years under the previous uh, regime. So that that was exciting to see. You can just tell this this is definitely a team that is a lot better in terms of talent. From what we saw uh, just last season for K-State, a, a team that almost made the NCAA tournament until really the last two weeks of the season they were in the mix. Um, so my point is they weren't that far off last year, and this team is way better. I was really Really impressed um, with K-State. They announced that three guys are going to redshirt. Jarrell Colbert, who had that huge game against Washburn. The LSU transfer, who's a center. Anthony Thomas, who was a super late uh, addition to the recruiting class, a Juco kid. And then Taj Manning. Why is that relevant? Because that means K-State has 10 scholarship players for this season. And all 10 are going to play quite a bit, as we saw last night. And there's not a huge drop-off. Between the first five no. and the second five. That's that's the key for me. Is you you mentioned K State having dudes and having six guys that scored in double figures last night. 
That's the first time K-State has had six guys score in double figures since 2016. And of that, there was also a seventh guy who had nine points and, and went one of four from the free throw line. Otherwise, it would have been seven. Tyke Green, who is just as capable a scorer as the other uh, six guys that did score in double figures. And that alone, for me, is is all that I need to know that this team is better because last year... K-State just simply did not have that many guys that could score that much. And that was their number one problem. Because in a game like basketball, you have to score points to win games. And if you're not going to be able to do that, then you're not going to win. And K-State scored 93 points last night. And as far as I'm aware, the high that they scored last season was 94 points in any game. So for game one... Under a new head coach, a completely new coaching staff, uh, basically an entirely new roster that was thrown together over the course of the last couple of months. You add a couple of guys super late, so they're still getting to know each other, trying to learn how they're going to play, what exactly their identity is going to be. And for that team to already basically surpass what last year's team was capable of on any night out on the floor is a glaring improvement just right away because this the offensive capability that is there is worlds better uh, than I, I think I expected but I think that's partly because of what I've seen K-State's offense look like over the last seven eight years for the most part but I'm looking ahead to Friday night because K-State plays at Cal who hasn't been a very good team for quite some time but that said it is a power conference team and if K-State can go on the road and win against a power conference team who by the way lost their season opener last night um, I think we'll, we'll start to be a little bit more um bullish perhaps on this k-state team james do you know who california played in their season opener last night i do they lost at home by 10 to uc davis yes and they weren't <laughs> the only power five team to fall victim to a payout game there were tons yes there were <laughs> there were tons but i think you said a lot there that that makes total sense um you know it, it was k-state's Highest scoring output in a season opener in eight years since 2014. And there were just little things that looked way better than what we've seen. Number one, the bigs could catch Marquise Noel's passes. I mean, he had a wraparound behind-the-back pass that led to a dunk that nine times out of ten, that gets fumbled out of bounds a season ago. (laughs) Um, K-State forced 26 turnovers. They were very aggressive defensively. We saw full-court pressure. Uh, we saw uh, half-court pressure uh, on, on both ends of the floor. K-State played only man-to-man, but really got out and defended well. And K-State, I thought Stan Weber had a great point. Because of K-State's versatility defensively, they switch almost everything. They're just they're going to be so good on that end of the floor. Can they shoot the ball all season long like they did last night? I'm not convinced of it yet. It's a long season. But they are going to be defending as well as anybody in the conference. And then the other thing is K-State just destroyed their first two opponents on the glass. This is a, a team that, that rebounds ferociously on both ends of the floor. They're going to be one of the best teams in the Big 12 on the offensive glass because of their height. Um, so all that is really good. And, and now, after what happened with Cal, 
I'm assuming K-State's the favorite on Friday. I'll be really disappointed if K-State doesn't win this game by 5 to 10 points. You you mentioned K-State's bigs being a little more athletic and I am I saw in person the exhibition game against Washburn and then I watched not the whole game last night but most of the first half and about half of the second half. That's exactly I, what I did. Until about, I, I was like, okay, I think yep. I've seen enough. Same here. You I know, I, I, but I can't remember the last time I was watching a K-State basketball game and got bored because they were winning by <laughs> so much. Like, <laughs> exactly. But my, my main takeaway is that Naquan Tomlin may have been the steal of the century for K-State recruiting-wise because he was one of the top junior college transfer recruits in the country this past cycle. And he ends up at K-State, but I feel like he got overlooked by a lot of bigger programs early in the process because he's only played basketball for like four years of his life. And... This kid, he he played 19 minutes last night because they were winning by so much. He only had to play 19 minutes. 14 points and 8 rebounds with a block in 19 minutes. This guy could be a walking double-double. And and that's just because he's an athlete. He went 0 of 3 from deep, which I I have faith that that shot will come along. He's not going to be a burn it up from deep kind of player, but he will be able to stretch you out, and that's going to be a big help for K-State. But the only negative is that he picked up four fouls in his 19 minutes. So if that defense can come along a little bit over the course of the season, if you can see him develop at least enough of a three-point shot that opponents have to respect that, he is going to be just a matchup nightmare because there's not many dudes that can match up both size-wise at 6'10 and athletically with what Naquan Tomlin can do. And if he's if he's in there 25 to 30 minutes a game, you know, putting up 10 points and 10 rebounds plus every night, K-State is going to give just about everybody a really tough time. And that one player alone, not to mention David Gasson giving K-State good minutes or Keontae Johnson picking up basically right where he left off from two years ago prior to his health concern, like this is a much, it is a much better product right now than I could have ever hoped for um, for game one. And I, I feel like if you're a K-State fan and you watched that team last night and you're not quite convinced that this is a they made the right coaching hire and that they're heading in the right direction. What more do you yeah. want? <laughs> yeah, no, you, well said. And j- another little thing, K-State made their free throws last night, 21 of 29. They're bigs. Uh, Bebe, uh, Eziola, the, the big center, goes two for three from the, the free throw line. Uh, Desi Sills, four for four. Noel, we know he's a good free throw shooter, five for seven. K-State as a team... Uh, shot 73% from the free throw line, which statistically is going to be in the top half of the Big 12. And K-State has been awful at free throws forever, even dating back to the Frank Martin and the one year that we had with Bob Huggins over in Manhattan. But you're right. It's just it's a talent upgrade across the board. I mean, Cam Carter actually led the team in plus minus. K-State was plus 29 when he was on the floor. And he only took six shots. But he didn't turn the ball over. He had three steals. He had three rebounds. He's K-State's best perimeter on-ball defender. That's why he's in the starting lineup. And you just you go up and down the board at what K-State's had the last couple of years and this team. And talent-wise, I mean, Barry Brown, Dean Wade, 
Cam Stokes, probably Xavier Sneed, could could play with these guys. Outside of that, there's nobody else that we've seen come through Manhattan uh, that has the athleticism and the the talent level of a lot of these guys that Tang's brought in here in his first year. Now, that said, a former K-State player helped a WAC team upset a Big 12 team as one of those by-games upsets that we we hinted at a little bit ago. Uh, Casey Eziegu, former K-State Wildcat, uh, transferred to Sam Houston State this offseason. And Sam Houston State, uh, who... They're a mid-major team, a low mid-major team, but they they are, over the last several seasons, pretty decent at that level. Um, they come from behind. I think they trailed by as many as 15 at Oklahoma last night. No, uh, 16 points is what I think I'm pulling up here. 16 points they trailed by, and they come from behind and beat OU in Norman 52-51. to Casey Eziegu, uh had eight rebounds and four points. So not a great score as per usual, but eight boards as a starter for a team that pulls off an upset over an Oklahoma team that I'm not sure what to expect out of. But there were they were that's the only Big 12 team that lost last night. Um and really the only one that was in much of a ball game outside of TCU, who narrowly escaped Arkansas Pine Bluff, by the way. Um but m- most everybody else got a dog walk win out of the Big 12. But uh there were a lot of upsets, and I love that. Yeah, me too. Um, I thought TCU was going down for a, a, a good chunk of that game. Oklahoma, they actually kind of flirted with disaster last year in the non-conference when they almost lost to Houston Baptist. They were down by, uh, I think, 20 at, at, at halftime and came back and, and won the game. And last night, they couldn't get over the hump against Sam Houston State. But again, you know, like we were driving back from Big 12 basketball media days pulling up every roster in the Big 12 and trying to figure out if K-State could compete in this league. And there's no doubt about it that they can. And you're right. You know, K-State, among many other Big 12 teams, got impressive wins. You know, Iowa State held IUPUI to 39 points in their opener. Oh, hold on. IUPUI is the like the the worst team if in the they're country. not the worst they're like second worst in well, mississippi valley state who baylor beat by exactly. like 70 that's where is i was the going worst. next yeah baylor won 117 <laughs> to 53 and so in, and then k-state score obviously raises eyebrows and and ku even though k didn't cover the spread it was still a, a convincing win outside of that though you know west virginia beat mount st mary's by 18 TCU, as we noted, barely beat Arkansas Pine Bluff. (laughs) Texas beat UTEP by 15, but didn't crush them. Oklahoma State beat Texas Arlington by 11. I mean, yeah, the Big 12 wins and losses-wise had a fine night, but there's not really anybody outside of maybe Baylor that I would say that's a much more impressive win than what K-State and KU had last night. I have uh, a fun note for you. So Arkansas Pine Bluff last night lost at the buzzer, basically, to TCU. They had a double-digit lead at one point on the road, and Mike Miles basically had to go scorched earth in the second half to get TCU back. Well, Arkansas Pine Bluff's uh, next game, do you know who they play, James? Baylor? No. Well, okay, should, I shouldn't say their next game because they play tomorrow night against a, like a D2 school, but their next like D1 opponent is coming up on Friday night. And they play at Oklahoma. Mm. So, 
Hmm. I'm not sitting here saying Oklahoma um, is going to lose back-to-back bye games, but I'm just saying keep your eye on it. That's all I'm saying, because if they were that close to beating TCU on the road, who's a top-15 team preseason, Oklahoma, who just lost a bye game, is very much on the hot seat. Now, that loss may have woken up the Sooners uh, like Porter Mosier would hope for, but you never know. That's all I'm saying. we got to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the uh, defending national champion Kansas Jayhawks as they got a win last night as well. That's up next here on In the Zone. If I could talk, up next on In the Zone on 1150 KSAL. Zone is brought to you by Hometown Outdoor Power, the area's largest power equipment dealer, offering brands like Toro, Grasshopper, Hustler, Kawasaki, and more. If you want to view their full inventory, see one of their locations in McPherson, Salina, or in Minneapolis, and you can even check them out online at hometownoutdoorpower.com. That's hometownoutdoorpower.com. Basketball season is here, which means winter is on the way. You can also check out their winter service program online at their website as well. Uh, But uh, as we were continuing our conversation about college basketball, let's talk a little bit about the Kansas Jayhawks because they didn't really, they didn't wow me last night. Well, one player did, but I kind of expected that one. KU won by 25, 89 to 64, uh, and they kind of used the second half to run away with it a little bit, but it was pretty neck and neck for a good chunk of the first half against an Omaha Mavericks team that I don't think is supposed to be very good at all in the Summit League or the Horizon. I don't even know. I think it's the Summit, but that doesn't really matter. The point is Kansas got a win, but it wasn't as pretty as maybe Kansas fans would like. That said, Grady Dick was more than advertised as a freshman in the starting lineup and um, put in 32 minutes, 23 points, two rebounds, an assist, two steals. That's a pretty good showing for a kid out of Wichita, Kansas. Yeah, and it was the most points by a KU freshman in their debut since, how about this name drop, Xavier Henry scored 27 <laughs> points to open the 2009-2010 season. All right, here's what I'm going to say about Grady Dick, because – Uh, He's a really good player, and I knew that coming into this season. Uh, I knew that he was just going to wow people, and he's only going to get better. Keep in mind, Bill Self, I didn't watch any of the game. Bill Self didn't coach last night, right? No, he's not. Jackson. Sorry, I was just looking at more stuff to add to this show. I know, but Bill Self didn't coach last night, right? No, he can't. It's part of his four-game suspension. That was the first game of the suspension. He won't be back till they go to the battle for Atlantis or whatever yeah. the tournament is. So the the fact that Omaha kept it a little bit close, I mean, it was 50-43, to 43, a seven-point game uh, with 16-55 left, I think probably had to do a little bit with the fact that Self wasn't on the sidelines. Um, but Grady Dick, back to Grady Dick, he is going to be one of the best freshmen in the Big 12, if not the best freshman in the Big 12. And he gives me major J.J. Redick. I'm dating myself with that reference. <laughs> Uh, a little bit newer one, Grayson Allen, former Duke Blue Devil vibes. And I say that because everybody in Lawrence is going to love and worship the ground that he walks on. 
during his time at KU. Whether it's this season, two years, three years, stays the full four, who knows. But everybody else outside of Lawrence and the Big 12 and the country is going to despise this kid. Because one, he's really good. Two, he's got that All-American look. Yep. And three, he's got that swagger. So uh, he is the new hawk that's going to make headlines he's, nationwide. He To me, I, I get the reference. He He's like, to be even more recent, Christian Brown, who was there oh, for, for sure. a handful of years and was just a freaking pill to everyone else in the Big 12, and he had the, the attitude and the, the skills to back it up with the proof of him playing for the Denver Nuggets and actually getting quality minutes as a rookie. Um, but I, I completely see it. I saw Grady Dick for the first time in the 3A state basketball tournament of twenty March of 2020, literally the day before the world shut down, the dude dropped like 30 points and 15 rebounds on poor old Colby High School in the quarterfinals. And I was like, that kid is way too good to be playing basketball at the 3A level. Well, that summer he transfers to Sunrise Christian and becomes the Grady Dick that we all know now, who is the national Gatorade player of the year and a McDonald's All-American and all of that stuff. But man, he is he's going to be really good. And I think it helps that he's got a guy like Jalen Wilson, who played really well last night for Kansas as well, uh, to kind of mentor him a little bit because they're a very similar game. Jalen Wilson's basically the same build, just a couple years older than Grady Dick now. Jalen Wilson, uh, 6'8", 225. Grady Dick, 6'8", 205 as a freshman. So give him a year or two, he'll look exactly like Jalen Wilson. The thing is, Grady Dick being mentored by Jalen Wilson, a guy who, who didn't, didn't burst onto the scene at Kansas. He played in one game or excuse me, in, in two games in 1920, and he redshirted. Um, and then the, over the last two years, he has become like one of the best rebounders on the Jayhawks team, a very athletic, scoring, stretch-forward kind of guy. And he won a national championship. So I feel like you that's the guy you want to lead the way for your freshman phenom, especially if they are very much comparable in terms of their skill sets. Um, but the thing, the other thing is that Grady Dick, if he plays like he did last night in basically every game this season or all throughout the year, he's not going to be on the Kansas roster next season. I'm going to tell you that right now. Right. Well, the thing that, that makes his story, in my eyes, pretty cool for us here in Kansas is the fact that, you know... Christian Brown, who's another great reference, he was born and raised in Kansas City. Kansas City, though, just feels different. You know, it's a big metropolitan city. There's a lot of great basketball and football and all kinds of sports, athletes that go on to play Power 5 sports at, at schools in the Big Ten and the SEC. But Grady Dick, being from Wichita, being a true Kansan, like born and raised, went to a small school before he transferred to Sunrise Christian Academy, that feels more, I'll use air quotes here, Kansas, like <laughs> local to me, like a yeah. true Kansan, which is what's going to make him so special, even if he is a one and done here in the state. The only thing that surprised me a little bit about KU is that I felt like they could have played uh, some of their, their scrubs, if you will, for more minutes than they did. They really only went about eight deep last night. Yes, if we only played nine minutes, Uday only played 14. Bobby Pettiford played really well in his 16 minutes. But for the most part, I mean, it was the five guys that started that went the, the you know, 
got the the most of 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 the playing time for KU. So um, that'll be just something to kind of keep an eye on because you know the last couple of years, I think there's been some years that that has bit KU down the stretch. Last year, obviously, not one of them because KU made a really deep run and won the whole thing with the basically six guys that they played. Um, but we've seen other years where it has bitten KU down the stretch in the postseason. So um, looking forward to just kind of keeping my eye on that. But all in all, yep, KU looked like KU. They definitely did. They'll play on Thursday night, so pretty quick turnaround for this early in the season. Uh, but they will host North Dakota State on Thursday night at 7 o'clock. We'll obviously have that coverage on Y93.7 Thursday night. Uh, but then after that, it's the first real test for Kansas as they go to the Champions Classic. I think it's in Indianapolis this year uh, as they take on Duke this time. They play that rotating schedule of Duke or Kentucky or Michigan State. Uh, but this year, the Jayhawks get the Blue Devils in the Champions Classic, and that's certainly going to be a fun early test. But I tell you, I'm not convinced that Kansas can quite keep up with teams like Duke just yet. I'll need to see more in their second game, but we'll see how this young group kind of molds over the next uh, next game. And I'm sure there's there's a lot of, of a lot to improve upon between game one and game two. We talk about it in football, the improvements from week one to week two. It's not a week between games in basketball, but it's still you're going to see a lot of improvement. We got to take another quick timeout. When we come back, we'll wrap up the show here in just a little bit. You're listening to In the Zone here on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL and 106.7 FM. segment of In the Zone here on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL. I am Jackson Schneider with James Westling and we didn't have a show yesterday so we didn't really get to talk about the Chiefs win on Sunday Night Football at all Uh, and it was a good win I would say uh, for the Chiefs but it was not pretty uh, offensively James but the defense was to me as good or better than it's been in a while, especially against the team that can run the ball as well as the Tennessee Titans. And they come from behind and get the win, and to me, that's all that matters. you got to just find ways to win, especially on Sunday, because the Bills lost, and if you win that game for the Chiefs, you tie the Bills for first place in the AFC, so that became all that much more important, and they just they just found a way to win. Yeah, they did, and it, it wasn't pretty. By the way, I keep smelling smoke over here, and I realize now that it's me. I smell like smoke. You've been smoking? No. Um, my daughter the other day was cooking macaroni and cheese, and she forgot to put water in the mac and cheese, and it caught on fire. Fun fact, if you don't put water in those <laughs> mac and cheese uh, little cups, they they will engulf in flames very quickly. Literally caught our microwave on fire, so our whole house was completely filled with smoke, and it was a it was quite the event at our house. But anyways, like all my clothes now smell like smoke, <laughs> like straight up legit, like it's deep in the fibers of this uh, shirt I'm wearing. Anyways, uh, the Chiefs defense was not up in flames. I thought they played pretty well, all things considered. I, I kind of had a feeling after watching that day of football and knowing all the pressure that was on Kansas City after they saw the Bills get beat by the Jets, I kind of felt like that was going to be an ugly game. 
Um, Chiefs were lucky to get it done. Patrick Mahomes, I, I felt like, was miraculous in some of his his late uh, game plays that he made with his legs on third and 17, picking it up, uh, and then obviously made some big-time throws for Kansas City. But that's a Titans team that I, I don't think is as good as their record, but they're also not as bad as I had kind of pegged them for. You know, with Malik Willis and what he can do with his legs and Derrick Henry getting downhill, that's just a tough physical football team. So it was encouraging to see the Chiefs win a game like that, even though it was ugly. The Chiefs got the dub and now just need another Bills slip up because the Chiefs' schedule is pretty favorable in my eyes when you look at uh, who they have coming up with the Jaguars, at the Chargers who were beat up, the Rams are not the Rams of old, Um, still got the Broncos twice and the Texans, so... Chiefs are in good shape. The Chargers game, by the way, just found this out earlier today. They flexed that from the 3.30 slate to Sunday night football that week. I can't – I'd have to pull up what day it is officially. It's, uh, I got it right here. It's November 20th. So, yeah, here in two weeks now, right? Um, not this weekend, but next weekend, it will be Thursday – or Sunday night football. Sorry. I'm going to say something, change my mind. I don't like Sunday night football when the Chiefs are the late game. I'd rather see him play at noon. I would too. Not because not because I like don't want to stay up, but all day long you're waiting, you're watching all these other games, and you're thinking, man, I can't wait to watch the Chiefs game. And then by the time kickoff rolls around, I'm almost burnt out on football because <laughs> it's all I've done for two days. I, I've I've never felt burnt out, but I hate waiting. I'm yeah, I very waiting. impatient. My other thought: I'd rather play my, it at noon with, every Sunday with my job responsibilities. Yeah. The morning news <laughs> reports, spoiler alert for those of you listening, if you are listening to our station at like 7 a.m., those sports reports are always recorded. I do really? them the night before. Oh, man, Every I no idea. Yeah, spoiler alert. They sound so, they sound so natural. <laughs> <laughs> but when the Chiefs play Sunday night football, I can't do it at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and go to bed at a reasonable time. No, I have it. to wait until the game is played and get all the stats yep. and, and everything, and I'll do it at like 11 or 11.30. And, and it was worse with the Royals because they'd go on West Coast swings and not be done until 1 in the morning sometimes, and it was the worst. But, yeah, I, I definitely agree. I'm much more a fan of when the Chiefs play at like noon. Yes. Uh, 3.30 is fine, but, yeah, 7 o'clock is Yeah, 3.30 is fine. I think that's a fair statement. Noon's definitely the best. Yeah. Like, I love waking up, you know, just kind of vegging for a couple hours, um, and then you got the game at noon. That's perfect. You eat lunch. You watch the game. Kids go down for a nap. For those of us that have children, that's a very crucial window. Um, Big fan of that. Now, on the uh, subject of the Chiefs, by the way, we have some Andy Reid audio for you. Uh, just kind of recapping the win on Sunday night. We'll get into that now, and uh, that's going to be just kind of the finish to the show today. Uh, won't be the full presser for Andy Reid, but it will be a good chunk of it. And the uh, full audio always is available at Chiefs.com. But uh, here's Kansas City Chiefs head coach Andy Reid. So um, don't have any injuries for you, really. I'm not sure we had too many uh, anyway. So um, I, I thought, you know, as I went back and looked at the tape, I, I thought that uh, just a good team win. Uh, I was happy to see our defense uh, play the way they did. A um, little different style uh, by Tennessee. 
with a young quarterback who I think is going to be tremendous uh, as they as they go. He's he's growing right in front of him, I'm sure. So, um, but uh, just keeping that whole run game under control, I thought was important. With the exception of a couple of runs uh, that 22 had, I just uh, our, our guys kept him at bay there. So, and then offensively, I I thought we you know we did some did some good things in there. We, our run game wasn't what we wanted it to be, but again, their, uh, their front is pretty stout there and particularly those two tackles. And, uh, but whatever we gave up on the run game, we, we picked up in the pass game. I thought our pass protection was, was, uh, was good too. I, I thought overall it was, it was a decent protection, um, for as many times we, we threw the ball. So, uh, and then special teams, I, I thought they um, that that Dave had a nice plan, and I thought we, you know, we worked uh, worked through it well. Uh, had good field position for the majority of the time uh, when special teams was involved in that part of it. And um, so uh, I I know Bud had a couple things that were hiccups there, but he'll he'll work through that and, and get it cleaned up. So, anyways, with that time, Drew. Let's go first to Adam Teicher. Go ahead, Adam. Hey, Andy. Um, you've told us more than once that um, you tell your assistant coaches to appreciate when Pat does something spectacular because that kind of thing you don't see all the time. I was wondering whether last night's game was one of those games for you with Pat, um, with all that he did in the passing game, but also his what he did with, when he was scrambling as well. And Brad, I'll have a second question also. Yeah, Adam, I mean that the that the fact that we had like 90 plays and at the end of the 90 plays he's running around like it was play 3, you know, I mean and and still being able to throw the football and control the huddle and do all the things you're supposed to do um and, and then he's not known he didn't come out uh, being known as a running quarterback that was, that's fast and all that, but he's fast enough. And he just knows, he kind of knows when to do it. So um, it, it was, I, I saw all the coaches go up to him afterwards. You talk about that, Adam. I, I saw all the coaches go up to him after the long run and, and, um, and that whole, that series there with the two point play and all and, and congratulate him and, and say, man, that was an unbelievable uh, display right there. And so I, I think that's, um, yes, I, I, that was one of those moments. Um, you know, and he, see, he's an amazing guy that way. Yeah. Okay. And you talked a little bit, um, after the game last night in general about some of the fourth down decisions you made, but I specifically wanted to ask you about the one in overtime it was fourth and one at their, I don't know, 12 or 13. And you ended up converting on a, a little pass to Juju. How much of that was you wanted to score a touchdown there and not give, uh, not give Tennessee the ball chance with the ball. How much of that was that Butker is struggling a little bit and, and how much, how much did that enter into your decision? Yeah. None of it was off of uh, my feeling about Butker. Um, it was all, all off of, I, I wanted to touch and, and to end it. And, and so, you know, I mean, get it to that, to that point, get, get a touchdown in there and let's, let's go. And so, um, and I think all the analytics people probably tell you the same thing, go score, 
you know, go score a touchdown if you possibly can. And I thought we had some good stuff still left on fourth down that we could use. And then, um, you know, and then uh, again, it worked there. I, uh, but the field goal was good. It was good to get that too. I mean, there was a, there was a happy meeting there too, because our defense had been playing well. So, uh, but it was a shorter field goal, which uh, we gave it a shot. So we gave it a shot to score. Let's go next to Herbie Tiope. Go ahead, Herbie. Hey, Coach. Good afternoon. Brad, I'll also have two questions. Coach, um, Kadarius Tony, nine snaps yesterday. Um, I know it was, a, it was a small sample size, but based on what you saw, uh, what, what impressed you the most of what he was able to do with those nine snaps? Yeah, so oh, I liked, I liked uh, the option route that he ran. Um, gave you a little taste of his quickness and Ability to get open. I, I like some of his blocks, Herbie, were unbelievable. I mean, that's not what we what we uh, brought him here for. But it's uh, um, he he, uh, he he's a tough tough kid. So, and he did it against defensive ends, and that's uh, you know good defensive ends. So, uh, but he'll keep working in. He he just hadn't played much, and so Herbie, we, we had him on a kind of a number count, snap count. Only had a few things in for him. I just, I'm, you know, we'll, we'll keep working him in. I thought last week getting those practices in uh, where he had to practice the full practice and practice fast and get to know Pat and, and what we do there, get to know the terminology. I thought it was important for him. Then you can start building on some things, you know. And then last, uh, Coach Lastly here for me, uh, Doug Peterson, obviously the head coach down in Jacksonville is, one of your former guys, uh, as you look at what he's been able to do in Jacksonville, what's impressed you the most from afar? Well, yeah, I mean, they look, they look organized and, and, uh, they, uh, have good energy. They, there's a certain, when you watch enough tape, there's a certain trust that you can see through the players to the coaches indirectly. So, but you see that, um, what's being called, how fast they play, their body language, all that. So I think both sides of the ball, there, there's a tremendous amount of trust, special teams, there's a trust. And, and this is just year one. So they, they, um, they don't give up. I mean, you, you saw that yesterday. I mean, they, they're going to keep coming. They were down, what, 17 at, at one point and, or 10 at one point, and they came back and, and won the game. So. They've, they've got some grit to them. Let's go next to Aaron Ladd. Go ahead, Aaron. Hey, Coach, appreciate the time here. Two football-related questions. You, you mentioned not getting what you wanted from the run game. What's kind of the missing piece there, in your opinion, and the focus going forward specifically there? Yeah, Aaron, I, you know, I think, um, uh, well, first of all, those, those two defensive tackles, that might have been part of it. The, those two guys uh, are, are pretty strong jokers. We've been playing like the number one defense is here for the last few few weeks it seems like and um and, and so uh you know they're they're giving us their best shot and we can do a little bit better up front we can do a little bit be more patient at the running back position and as coaches we can always dial up different things you know and and try to figure something out that might fit a little bit better so we're, those are all the things that we Aaron that we kind of get in and we analyze and, and work with but um, you know, what didn't work there worked in the past game. So 
And I kind of called it a, a legacy play for Noah Gray, that catch in overtime there. Pat mentioned in, in post game that he'd like to get on the ball a little bit more. What have you seen from him behind the scenes, just from being drafted and then putting himself in that position to make a play? Yeah, I'll tell you, probably the thing that's uh, th that surprised me the most. I mean, this kid started off as a quarterback, then he got moved to tight end. I mean, a, a, a true quarterback at, at Duke, then moved to tight end, and then um, – it comes here and we're thinking, Oh, we've getting this great pass route runner. And all of a sudden he develops himself into being a run blocker too. And so uh, not only does he have this whole skill level as a pass receiver, but now he's also got a complete game being able to run block, but which I wasn't sure we'd ever get to that point, but he, he sure done a nice job with that. All right, that was Kansas City Chiefs head coach Andy Reid. That is going to wrap up our show for today. For James Westling, I have been Jackson Schneider. We will be back at it tomorrow with our normal busy Wednesday schedule. We'll talk to the voice of the K-State Wildcats, Wyatt Thompson, and uh, just continue right on trucking during crossover season, football and basketball to discuss. But the conversation will continue tomorrow at 5.15 right here on In the Zone on 11.50 KSAL.